0: What's up guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. So this week I'm going to be diving into something. It's going to be a quick a quick enough episode and the reason for that is that it's absolutely freezing here in the office. Our heating system has broken and I think it's about zero degrees in here right now. So I'm wearing a fleece that is actually about 15 years old, uh, just trying to keep warm. And um, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to dwell too long. I'd just like to take you through something. First of all, I'm gonna give you a little bit of context as to why I'm gonna talk about the top 10 property investing myths that I'm gonna debunk for you guys. And uh, how did this come about? First of all, I gotta tell you the story. So myself and my wife, we were sitting in uh, uh, at home the other day and we were talking about taking the kids to the pool. And we were talking about just the fact that when you go to the pool, do the kids, you know, how well behaved are the kids in terms of do they go to the toilet? And do their little pee-pees in the swimming pool, and I was sort of saying, "Oh, but sure, look, you know they have that dye that uh, turns red when the uh, when the when the kids pee in the pool," and she's like, "I don't think that's real," and I said, "Oh, of course it's real, sure. I've been talking about it for my whole life," and went online and like the two of us were just in fits of laughter as we discovered that the um, that this is a complete myth and it was created back in the 1950s. And here I am, 50 years old, and I'm talking about a myth that I believed to be true for my whole life. And every time we went to the pool, we we'll would be like, oh no, it's, it's perfectly fine. We'll see the red die if anyone is using the toilet. So anyway, just shows you how myths can get stuck in your head and can really make you think that um, something is true when it is completely made up and uh, it's just a story that's out there. So without further ado, Today's episode is on the top 10 property investing myths. You're listening to Behind the Facade and I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher. On this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and your behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. All right, guys, as I said, today is going to be a short episode. It's not going to be too long, and I haven't even scripted it. I'm actually reading a couple of myths that I picked up on my phone. And I've actually gone, and I've I've got 16 here now. I did say I will go through the top 10, but some of them are, are a little bit repetitive. And these are ones that I picked up off the internet. I, want, I just typed into the internet, uh, you know, top myths in property investment. And a lot of the stuff came back, and... It, the answers that I'm going to give you will depend on where in the world you're based and so I'm going to just put a little bit of a a personalised twist on this and give you my exact uh, views and I'm just going to shoot off the hip I haven't prepared for this and so it's just because of the temperature I'm in this situation so let's start with the first one myth number one you need a huge cash deposit to start investing in property now If you live in the US, that is completely nonsense. And uh, as a number of my guests have said uh, in the process of my interviews with them over the last two years, when you're in the US, you can go and do a deal, and you can put down something as low as 3% uh, deposit and borrow 97% of the value of the property. And most of them, when they do this, what they do is they put down a certain put deposit and they will actually turn this into a partial home loan. Um, what they'll do is they'll buy, say, a three-bed or a, a three-room triplex or something like that, and they'll split it. Unfortunately, when you come back home closer to uh, the Ireland or the UK, deposits are required. And that is because banks are an awful lot less uh uh, you know, likely to give out money. Now, speaking personally in the Irish market, I would say it's almost impossible that you're going to get that kind of thing because there's the central bank rules that they brought in after the crash of 2008. Now, in my time, I borrowed money and I went in and I managed to get 110 uh, percent loan to value uh, loans. And that was because at the time, there was a 9% stamp duty. So what I would go in and say, I want to borrow the whole lot, give me 110%. That will cover the legal fees, the stamp duty, everything. Now, this is not completely free money. What you're doing is you're actually giving them some sort of hold over other assets that you own. And so it's wrong to think that this is you know, completely... Um, free debt, and that you can walk away from the property if it all goes wrong. That was not the case, and they come after you. So, this is definitely a myth that I want to put a hole in. Um, the idea that you don't need a lot of cash is, I think, a bit of false. I think if you're if you're buying, certainly in the Irish market, you need substantial deposit. You're going to be looking at 10% if you're a new and uh, a first time buyer. You're going to be looking at 20% if you're an investor buying something beyond your 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 first home and the, the whilst it is possible to go out there and get loans from families and friends and stuff that is different if you're just looking at the standard way that most people are going about it it's not possible now there is alternative solutions and i have talked to guests that have come on and they do things like lease options And there's agreements that you can come up with, whereas if you're very fortunate, you can talk to the landowner and the landowner might say, you know what, if you pay me in like a year's time or two years time or something like that, the full price, I will let you in now. And you can, kind, you know, there's ways around where you can kind of manage the property for somebody. You can make it worth their while but those are tend to be rare enough deals because certainly you're not gonna own the property outright. It will still belong to the other person, but it might allow you to take control of the property. So the second myth that I have here is that you have to get the timing right. Now, that is a myth insofar as you don't have to get the timing right. Anybody can invest at any time, but it certainly can help your, um, you can, it can help your investment career if you time it really, really well. And by that, let's say if you had 100,000 and you decided to go and invest back in 2012. At the time, the Irish market, speaking sort of from my home market, the Irish market was on its knees. And you could have picked up a property and without any exaggeration, probably you were able to pick it up at about 50% of its value today, if not even less than that. And so timing the market, if you want to see some sort of huge increase in your net worth, that is most definitely true. However, timing the market is something that is incredibly difficult to do. And if you're going to go out there and say, I'm going to wait for the crash until I start to become a a property investor, that would be probably a big mistake because you have no idea when the next market upswing will go. Now, we do it does look at the moment like we're heading into some sort of a crash, some sort of a recession. So the likelihood is timing the, buying today could be a mistake insofar as the property could fall in value. And it depends if you're putting down say a 20% deposit on a property and the bank are giving you 80% and then the property falls but in twenty by twenty percent, say the market has dropped by twenty percent in the next year or two, then the bank could get nervous and you, they could come after you, or they could force a sale, and you could go into what's known as technical default. So that is definitely a concern. But generally speaking, outside of those two extremes, if you're at the very very bottom of the market, and when you're nearing the top, or when you've passed the top and you're starting on that downswing, leaving aside those two extremes it's actually a bad idea to try to time the market because it's highly unlikely that you're gonna get the timing right. And the likelihood is you might be, say in 2016 or 2017, you might have looked at the market and say, it's been rising for five years, there's probably a crash on the horizon, therefore, let's go and wait for the crash. And here we are six years later and the market still is only just about to crash. So you would have uh, missed out on six years while you're sitting on your hands. So that's definitely one. Now, house flipping is easy. All right, this is a myth that I'm gonna knock right on the head because I've seen a, a member of my extended family getting burnt on this. And back in the boom times, house flipping is very easy. And it's very attractive uh, because you can put down a deposit on something, you can go and agree to, you know, on a loan. And if you go and say, if you find off plan opportunities, so if a property comes up for sale, say it's a development and you see a for sale sign and you're allowed to kind of step in and start committing to purchasing before the thing is actually built and you go and make a reservation by putting down, a, say, a booking deposit or put some, de- some sort of deposit. Sometimes, in the past at least, you were able to um, sign the contract and have an assignable contract. So you would be able to sell it on to somebody else in the future if you wanted to. So let's say I put down 10%, going to go and buy this house, and then if somebody comes along in a year's time when the house is closer to construction, and the market has gone up, and my house has gone up by 50,000, I could just sell my my place in the line for 50,000 to that person, and they step into my contract. That's how it was done before. And the benefit of that was that you're not actually paying stamp duty, you're not doing all of this stuff, and you're just selling the benefit of the fact that you committed early, and you had the money to do that. Now, it's been done all over the world. It's been done in places like Dubai. I know a person... Who put uh, money down in Dubai on apartments that were for sale, and he sold his place in the line for like forty thousand, fifty thousand dollars, a little bit later. So it's definitely an attractive thing. The problem is when the market turns. The, when you put a commitment down on a property, um, you don't know between now and the twelve months or say until it's available, or sometimes it's even longer than that. But you don't know when that timing, uh, whether that timing is going to work for you or not. And I have a uh, a relative, we'll say, and he put down property and his wife put down money on property. The two of them put down uh, deposits on two properties. And they were going to do this flip. They were going to sell the position in the line. They were going to get 25 grand each or something like that. And they'd done it multiple times. So they were very enthusiastic about this and it was allowing them to build up a deposit for their own home. And they had no intention of holding on to these properties. It was just in, flip, make 25 grand, put the 25 grand into a deposit account, and they were building up a nice little deposit account towards their home that they wanted to buy. Sure enough, 2008 happened, and everything started to look a bit shaky. And I can remember having dinner, and this person sort of saying, hey Gavin, do you think um, you know? We, we put the deposit down, myself and the missus put the po- deposits down, and we're both kind of a little bit nervous now at the market, do you think they'll give us back our deposit? And I was just dumbstruck at this. I was like, are you kidding me? Not only are you not going to get your deposit back, but they're probably going to sue you to com- to complete the sale because that you've agreed to buy this property and you've signed a binding contract. So there's no walking away from it. You Unless you can find somebody to step into your shoes to take over your contract there is no walking away from it. And even if you just think, okay, well I'll just walk away from the deposit, that is not always possible. They will come after you. Now, you may may be prepared to walk away from your deposit. Uh, Most people hate the idea because that's hard-earned cash. But perhaps if the developer has somebody else that they can sell it to, they'll keep your deposit. But a lot of the times, they will go after you to complete the sale. Now, a lot of that stuff was ruled out in 2008 when the crash happened. A lot of people learned their lessons and they prevented that. So you're not allowed to do assignable contracts. All of this kind of stuff was brought in. So I think that is definitely a myth that needs to be busted. It's easy in the good times. It's very, very difficult in the bad times. And you can be stuck and you can't get away from it. And now in certain markets, house flipping, they have you know contracts that can be cancelled and all this. If I was selling a property and somebody tried to sort of have some sort of get out clause like that, I just wouldn't sign the deal. I would just be, why would I do that? Why would I disadvantage myself for you? It's it's more likely to happen in markets where um, there's an oversupply of housing. So certain, we'll say maybe the US, you'd have people, there'd be, there'd be neighbourhoods where there's just properties falling down and nobody wants them, you can go in and step in and buy for very, very cheap. But in an Irish in the Irish context where there's an absolute housing crisis at the moment, no chance. I don't think that would be at all possible. Now it has one of the myths here is that uh, the first property that you should buy should be your own property before you start investing. Now that is one that I think is, Wrong, although it is very typical. The average person will typically save up money for their own deposit on a house before they'll ever think about going. And the, the reason is there's this mindset that rent is dead money. And there is the kind of view that if you're paying rent to a landlord, then you're just throwing money down the toilet and that you would be far better off buying the property. And then after you've bought your property, then you can go out and start getting into investment. And a lot of people become accidental landlords insofar as they've done that. And then when they want to move to a larger property, say they got married or had a family or something like that, they decide let's move to a larger house. And rather than sell their property, their first property, they'll retain it. Now, when you do that, you become an accidental landlord. That's not the same as buying your first home after, or buying a home after you become an investor. And why, and that is because of that mindset around the um, the fact that rent is considered to be dead money. But in reality, if I found a property, if I'm living at home with my parents, and I've got, you know, we'll say, 40,000 saved up from working long hours and you know summers and everything like that, and I've built up this nice little nest egg, that's gonna be the money that I put down on my first property. And along, you're looking out there for properties, and you find this sweetheart deal that is too good to be true. And you say, I could buy this house and I could convert it from a three bed into a six bed and I could turn this 120,000 investment into a 200,000 value. Would you prefer to you know keep on waiting until you buy your own first house or would you go and dive into that particular deal and have the 80,000 uplift? Because clearly with that 80,000 uplift, you could go out you could refinance that property, free up that cash, and it gives you back your deposit. So now you can go out and buy your home. So that's why I do think that that is a myth that needs to be squashed. Um, you should just look at opportunity. Don't get fixated on the idea of buying your home first. If an opportunity comes along, take the opportunity. If, on the other hand, um, you you know what you might actually look at is, We're talking about HMOs when I talk about converting a a, a three-bed into a six-bed and then rent it out uh, on a bedroom basis. If you were to do that, you could actually turn one of those rooms into your own personal place. And that would mean that you've moved out of home, you now own this home, but you're actually collecting all this additional rent from people. So that's a way... Obviously it's easier said than done and a lot of the the problem is is that when you're young and inexperienced and when you're beginning down this road you're most likely very nervous and you don't want to risk buying a property investing in a property for to become a landlord and having to deal with all of this uncertainty that you don't know anything about whereas it'd be easier just to buy a property and now you're you own the property and There's not any of these rules and regulations around tenant and landlord and there's not legal agreements that you need to worry about. So, but I think you should just consider the opportunity first before you dive into making sort of solid decisions like that. All right, one of the myths here is that being a landlord is, uh, well, it's funny, there's two myths here that are both contrary to one another. One myth was that being a landlord is very time consuming and the other was being a landlord is easy. Now, you can tell who wrote these. Uh, I think it was probably an agent who wrote that being a landlord is time consuming because they wanna make it as easy as possible for you to jump in and go and buy a property. Being a landlord is easy is uh, one of those myths that I would say needs to be uh, questioned, and that is because it is easy to collect money once you're on top of things. know it's passive. There's nothing better than at the end of every month, somebody is paying their rent into your bank account and miraculously you see, bang, there's the money now in my bank account. You didn't have to work for that money. Or at least you didn't have to work nine to five for that money. However, to say that it is easy is slightly simplifying it. And that is because When you become a landlord, there are rules, obligations, all of this stuff that a lot of people are completely oblivious to. Here in Ireland, as an example, there is the RTB, and that's the Residential Tenancies Board. And they are an organisation out of the government that basically monitors the rights and obligations between tenants and landlords. And if you fall foul of that, there's fines, There's all sorts of issues that can be brought in. If you want to increase the rent in your house, those guys can actually regulate it. If you want to kick a tenant out of the house because they're to stop paying rent or something, those guys can prevent it. There's all sorts of stuff that you need to be absolutely crystal clear about before you jump in. So, is it easy? If you don't understand that stuff, definitely not easy. If you want, though, a passive income, it is easy from that perspective. But it's not completely... Um, it's not like you just you know, give the key over to somebody and that's it. As a landlord, you're responsible for the upkeep of the property. And so if you're gonna go and uh, buy a place and say it's a, an older house that's like a fixer-upper or something like that, you're gonna have, the likelihood is, you're gonna have constant repairs and fixing and little things that have to be done for the tenants over the lifetime of the property. If you buy a brand new property, more likely that there won't be issues because you're gonna have that kind of new, the benefit of the new property, any more than buying a new car versus buying an old car, and there's a warranty that goes with the new car. So another one here, this is a myth that you guys will, you know, you already know, house prices always rise. That may look like it, um, it is true at the moment, but I've experienced the complete opposite. Back in 2008, we were in the, um, in 2008, I looked at, I had basically, I was in college in 1995, 96. The prices were still going up. I remember I was working for a summer in an architectural firm while I was still a graduate. But I was, I took my summer. And I can remember the most expensive house ever bought in Ireland was sold. And it was in Killiney. It was on Sorrento Terrace. And I think the property sold for, you um, If I can remember correctly, it was, I think, 4.5 million or something like that. And I can remember at the time, it was an astronomical price. And sure enough, a couple of years later, that property was sold on for like 9 million or 10 million. And as the market rose and rose and rose, there was people paying 20 and 30 and 40 million for properties in Ireland. Some of the bigger, more salubrious homes and salubrious areas. Um, Most other houses were going up in the market, but... When 2008 came along and the crisis hit, the market fell, and in some places it fell by 60%, 70% on, on, on land, development land and things like that. So clearly it can go up and it can go down. Generally speaking, it is pretty safe, but when the now we're looking at a situation where inflation has gone up and interest rates are now being driven up by that. Central banks are trying to get inflation back down, they're rising, they're, they're increasing their interest rates. And so affordability is going to definitely put pressure, downward pressure on the price of houses. So we're going to have to keep an eye on this. And uh, I do think it's quite possible that there could be a fall in prices, but the housing crisis in Ireland is so huge. In, in fact, I think I might've said this last week, but um, just speaking with somebody recently, and he's an agent that is selling property in Dublin and um, selling and renting property. And he said two house sales have fallen recently um, because I think it was tech sector workers that decided that they weren't actually sure how um, sort of guaranteed they were to have a job in a year's time. So they decided to pull out of the deals. So you've got the house sales coming under pressure. But the rental property, he said that he put a two bedroom apartment up in South Dublin and in one hour, it attracted 600 inquiries in one hour. So have a think about that. That is an inquiry every six seconds for an hour. Um, it's, it's quite incredible. And so I was thinking about that and saying, that being the case, you know, how is it, is there any chance that prices are really gonna fall when there's that much demand out there? I, th- I think it's kind of unlikely but the affordability is most definitely a concern, and it could put um, pressure, downward pressure on everything. Okay, guys, getting near the end here, um, what else? Now is not the right time. Okay, that's a good myth, okay? At the moment, where we are what looks like the very top of the market. So it could be easy for us to say, now is not the right time. And in general, yes, I would say that that is probably correct. But does that mean you should stop looking at the market, no. And that is because bargains come at different times. You've gotta understand that motivation is a big, big issue when it comes to selling. If somebody is on, is in sort of trouble, financial trouble, whatever it is, they may have a very, very urgent requirement for cash, whatever it might be. Could be an emergency situation. It could be that they're in trouble with the law. It could be any number of things. Like, give you an example, FTX, which we talked about last week, the collapse of the crypto market. There could be plenty of people out there who thought they were very, very wealthy and that they were sitting on hundreds of thousands in profits because they invested in FTX or some cryptocurrency that is now falling in value. And so they put a deposit down on a property and they took a big mortgage and they thought, I can easily afford this. I'm wealthy with crypto. And now all of a sudden, their wealth has evaporated and they have to get out because they've gone and signed up to too much of a mortgage payment or whatever it might be. They don't have the money to cover the purchase of the price uh, of the property. I know somebody in the UK who bought a property using crypto as the uh, as their collateral. And they went to the bank and the bank, they said we have, X in crypto and the bank said well we can give you this much against that. Now, as it turns out, the market kept on going up in crypto, so they started looking at other properties to buy because it'd gone up by that much. I'm not sure how they are fixed now. I haven't spoken to them since, but that is definitely an issue that I think you're going to start seeing bleed into the rest of the economy. And there's going to be a lot of people out there nursing crypto losses, and I've heard somebody today saying that Bitcoin is likely to drop below 10,000. Now, that's not my opinion. That's just something I heard on the internet today. Whether you believe that or not, it's entirely up to you. But if that it takes place, that's another 60% fall from where it's at today. So you can imagine what that's gonna do. That's probably gonna trigger margin calls. It's probably gonna trigger all sorts of issues. And so I would think that it's highly likely that um, if that did take place, that you're gonna have distressed house sales or property sales as a result. Okay, let's get into the last one or two. What do we got here? Uh, you have to wait for the crash to start. I've, I've already covered that. That's pretty much about the timing. One thing to remember about timing, and I've said this before, you're far better off time in the market than you are trying to time the market. And that basically just means that property is a long-term hold. If you buy property today and you hold it for 20 years, you're going to make a profit. If you buy it today thinking you're gonna flip it in the next 12 to 18 months, you could take a loss. And that is something to bear in mind. So timing the market, problematic. Time in the market long-term. If you can get in, get a good cash flow, lock away your um, like go fixed on a loan for you know as many years as possible and just lock it away don't be looking at every penny thinking oh I can go and sort of um, take out uh, you know this amount of extra cash for myself and stuff like that if you can just get conservative about it and just park it and just forget about it that is the long-term way to to build wealth in property if you're you know, trading property and things like that. That can, it can be good for a couple of years, but almost always you'll get humbled by some sort of an event that will knock the, uh, knock the kind of sentiment out of the market. Only invest when interest rates are low. Now, that is, that is not re- that is a myth that has to be busted insofar as you can invest at any time, but definitely the wrong time to invest is when the market, when when the interest rates are very, very low, then asset prices are inflated. And that is what you're seeing now. Interest rates were very, very low for a prolonged period of a couple of years. Now, all of a sudden, interest rates are sort of coming back to a more normal amount. And so you're seeing deflation in asset values. So is it a bad time to go and buy now? No, I don't think so. I think every time that you buy is you have to look at the merits, and you have to look at the likely interest rate curve over the next couple of years. If you bought a property at 0% interest rate, well then the smart person would automatically go, well, clearly we're not gonna be stuck at 0% for very, very long, and therefore you need to sort of say, okay, when it returns to a more realistic level like three or 4%, then what will it look like in terms of the monthly payments? If you bought it at a low interest rate and you locked in, well, that's a great thing. I mean, that was probably a good trade to make, but how long will it be locked in for? If you're locked in for, say, three years, at the end of the three years, you could be waking up to a big, big increase. And so, probably the sensible thing to do, if you do have, say, three years locked up, uh, your, your interest rate fixed for three years, you're gonna have a surplus of cash that surplus of cash should be turned into a, a nest egg that either invests in another property, or you should be paying down debt, because what's going to happen is that interest rate is going to reset at the end of the three years, and you're not going to be increasing your uh, your your income level in at the same pace that your um, that your interest rate is going to increase by. So if you're if you've gone from zero percent fixed. Uh, you know, so you're probably paying two or three percent and that's going to creep up to maybe six or seven percent at the end of the three years. You could be in for a very, very big increase. And so you want to be in a position that you can make a big payment and pay down some of that debt. And so that would be the sensible thing. Don't think that you've got a couple of years of, you know, easy money and you're going to make you're going to be able to spend this extra. That would be the imprudent thing to do. That would be what Gavin did back in 2007 and stuff that he regrets now today. And then finally, uh, property is only for experienced people. I'm going to say that that that's that's to be knocked on the head. One of the big things that holds people back in terms of self-limiting beliefs is the belief that it is only for experienced people and that you shouldn't get into something like that because it's too risky or whatever. I think that would be a mistake. I do think you should you know, learn what you can, get yourself educated, um, read up on what you need to read up in order to kind of fi- figure things out, but then you don't need to be a top expert to go and do this. And so I think probably the sensible thing to do is thread carefully, maybe if you can get a mentor, get somebody who's experienced, who's done this before, and get them to kind of like guide you or steer you, but get in as early as possible. Um, At at the meetup that I did a couple of weeks back, um, there was a young guy from Kerry. I'm not gonna mention his name for for privacy reasons, but if he's listening, you know who you are. And I was really impressed at a really young age, thinking about getting into property, wants to know everything about property. And I think that's the kind of attitude you wanna have, you wanna have a a kind of a go-getting kind of an attitude. And um, you're going to do well if you get in, but make sure you keep a lid on your expectations and the thing. Don't think that you're going to be flipping property and becoming a millionaire overnight. It is something that you've got to get kind of slow, steady, catches the monkey, as they say. If you think you're going to get in and get out, that's where you take risks that can actually end your career very abruptly when something like a war in, you know, an invasion by Russia and Ukraine has upended the market. Nobody saw that coming. A year ago, none of us expected this to be possible. Here we are now, the world has changed. Just shows you how stuff can happen. So you're better off thinking, okay, 20 years from now, I'm going to still own this property. How do I get myself into the best possible position that I can weather the ups and downs? Cyclical markets are natural. And so it's going to be up for a couple of years your net worth is going to look great then it's going to fall down for a couple of years you're going to look a bit silly and then it's going to come bouncing back up but that is the nature of investment and that's what you guys should always remember and you keep that in your mind and you think to yourself you know the market goes up and down i'm not a genius when the market is going up you're not a genius you're just riding the market wave. When the market goes down, you're not an idiot. You're just riding the the market wave down. And that is what you've just got to remember. Stay stoic, stay kind of level headed and just know that this is normal. This is part of being an investor. Guys, it's 35 minutes in. I hope that was a useful episode and I hope to um, catch you all next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you enjoyed that episode or if you found it useful in any way, please take a moment to leave a a review over on iTunes if you're listening in on the podcast. If you're listening or you're watching in on the YouTube channel, then maybe you can leave us a like. And uh, if you can't do any of those things, maybe just share the episode out with somebody you think would find it useful. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover, Uh, send me a message through the Facebook community. is probably the best one to go for. That is called Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, you'll find me on social media. My handle is Gavin J. Gallagher. And uh, as you would expect, I have a website that has the same name, gavinjgallagher.com. If you go in there, you can join the email list. You can add yourself in there, and you can find out what's going on on the various projects that I am working on. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed this one. Speak to you again next week.